Good evening to all of you and greetings in Jesus' name. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you here this evening. I realize that you already poured yourselves out for a group of people and uh, sang and cooked and washed dishes and coordinated that outreach. And I realize you're probably tired. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to um, share after all of that. I was blessed to uh, see what you're doing and want to just affirm that outreach. It's worthwhile to uh, reach out as a group and the songs that you sang and everything, I'm sure really blessed the ladies. I'm Daniel Keniston, in case anybody doesn't know who I am, and um, I'm here from West Africa, Ghana in particular, and for any lady that hasn't heard yet, I'm here alone without my wife and family, and I apologize for that. Um, I keenly feel their absence, just like you do. Um, Christy sends her greetings. She would have loved to be here. Um, we all have great memories of being here 50 months ago. That was June of 2018, so more than four years ago. Uh, life rolls quickly by, and now it's 2022. So I'm thankful to be here. I'm here by myself in the States. The family is in Africa. Um, this year, we did our furlough a little bit differently. We were in the States for February, March, and April and visited our two families and um, my home church in Pennsylvania, my wife's home church in Wyoming. And then we all went back to Africa. And then I'm here to kind of do some uh, preaching in various churches by myself. So I've been in the States for two weeks. I have two more weeks. Um, I'm speaking in about 13 different churches in the United States and Canada. And my main reason for moving around, I'm not really on a fundraising tour. Um, I'm on a people raising tour. I'm trying to use this opportunity to reconnect with young people that have come and, and visited us in Ghana on the Sent One team or the Sent Two team. And I'm also trying to connect with the pastors and churches that have released young people to us in the past. So um, that's why I'm here to preach to you tonight, just to use my presence to thank you for involvement in the past, to remind you of Ghana by being here, to remind you of the opportunity. We, In four years, we have an entirely new batch of young people that have gotten old enough to consider um, spending three months with us in Ghana, and I would highly recommend that. Um, we haven't had anyone from here for, I think, four years now, and um, we, we miss you. So I just want to hold out that opportunity in front of you again this evening. Um, I believe that outreach and missions are integral to being a New Testament church, and I think it's a worthwhile thing for young people anyone, but young people to spend three months of their youth life in studying, learning, and practicing outreach in another country. You will carry that treasure and that perspective with you for the rest of your life. And so I, I highly recommend that you young people consider spending a couple of months in Ghana. My family and I would be very happy to welcome you. I'm going to try to quickly cover a, a couple uh, updates on our life and how things are going there in Ghana. When we were here in 2018, um, we went back to Ghana in the fall of 2018, and we got permission from our board to 
start building a scent base, the scent one school, that's the three month training program. And then scent two, that's the 20 month, almost two year long uh, ministry apprenticeship for people who feel called into long-term cross-cultural work. Both of these schools operate in Tomali and Christy and I, with help from some other uh, missionary families, coordinate both of these schools. We were in rented facilities for 10 years in Tomali for both schools. We got permission to build um, a permanent base for the Scent schools. And so we spent uh, most of the fall of 2018 and most of 2019 buying land and building a base. We are delighted that um, about 100 alumni, people that have been with us in Ghana, contributed. And basically the school was built with... um, funds from students that have gone through the programs, which just, it feels like ownership and it was really a blessing to us. Um, A lot of work went into building it. Everything is done by hand. I did not do all the building by hand. I just tried to coordinate and stay ahead of the plans and make sure that everybody was getting paid. But on a typical day, we had maybe 30 men working there, um, laying block, doing septic work, doing electrical work, Um, digging foundations. It was all done with pickaxes and shovels and wheelbarrows. So lots of manual labor. I think we calculated um, that we have 39,000 concrete blocks in the the whole base because we pay, you pay people to make them per 100 blocks. So I know how many people we paid. These are solid uh, five inch, like 18 inches long, 10 inches high, solid five inches uh, blocks. There's no holes in them like they have in the States. Each block weighed about 40 pounds and each block was carried like maybe six times from the time it was made until it was laid on the wall. So we, we did, we did a lot of carrying. My family got involved in that. Um, there's a, there's a price to move a hundred blocks and the children were like, wow, $3 to move a hundred blocks. And so the children would get out there and carry blocks along with uh, our uh, African workers. So we built the base. It took about a year and a half to build the base uh, we're delighted to have a place where my family lives and sent one and sent two is all together. It's kind of like a little colony. If all the rooms are filled, there's room for about 60 people, which we live a little closer together than people live in the States. Uh, there in Africa, not as many square feet, but uh, it's a nice place. Christy has made it beautiful with a lot of trees and flowers. My children are delighted to have a place where they can have animals. It's turned into quite a little farm because my children have grown up in Africa and they all want to expand their flocks and herds. So we have lots of animals there. Um, But very delightful to have a place for Scent One and Scent Two. I used to get up in the morning and share at Scent One and then come home to my house for lunch and then teach at Scent Two and go back to Scent One. Now it's all um, in one physical location and we're really thankful for that. Um, Right about the time that we finished building the base, COVID hit the whole world. That was March of 2020, I believe. And so it's taken us a while to get the Scent Schools restarted. COVID kind of stopped everything for a while. And then COVID has made the restart of the Scent Schools pretty difficult. Ghana, for some reason, is one of, I think, only three African countries that require a COVID immunization. So that kind of stopped the scent schools pretty pretty uh, harshly there. We did not have a team in 2020. Last fall in September, we had a, a scent one team for three months from September through December, um, but it was a little bit smaller than it typically has been. 
Um, this year, we have a team coming over next month in September. It's also, I think, 13 or 14, whereas traditionally we've had about 20 young people on the teams. Um, so pray for us to get that team over. Um, the Ghana government recently put a line in their rules that says they accept religious exemptions. So we're hoping that we can get our team members through uh, those that are not immunized, we can get them through on a religious exemption. But it's something to really pray about for me because we've bought their tickets and we've scheduled everything and we don't know if they're going to be allowed into Ghana. So uh, I think you all understand that with some of your back and forth with Canada. It can be very challenging. So pray for us in that. But we are really excited to have the Scent Schools operating again and in our own base right there. My family can be there easily. And uh, we look forward to continued training of young people, both the short-term, uh, 12-week, three-month uh, course, and then the long-term course. <clears throat> so that's on the sent front. Um, on the village ministry side of things, I continue being involved, working with the church leaders in the villages that we started churches in. If you might remember from the last time I was here, Christy and I spent 10 years living in a village, very rural, and planting churches. And we have about 40 churches in the village. When I say a church, don't think a big grand building with 100 or 200 people. Most of these churches are 30 people, some of them as large as your church here. Uh, but some of them are very small and meet under trees. Some of them have their own buildings. So I have about 40 churches that we work with. And my main role is to continue training the leaders. So my involvement is to go out and hold leaders meetings um, typically I'll go out and meet the leaders from 10 villages and spend a day um, just going through some teaching that helps them as leaders. I'm involved in ordinations. I'm involved in pre-marriage counseling. That's a new concept for our church leaders. And they've said, Brother Daniel, you have to do that. We don't know what we're doing yet. So I do the pre-marriage counseling for the new couples that are getting married and just continue uh, basically trying to help the church stand on its own feet. Um, I, that's delightful work. It's exciting to me to see what God has done there. I think probably one of the, the biggest things to celebrate in the last four years is that we're finally reaching a place where young people are have grown up in the church. Early on, we had people that came to Christ after living sinful lives, maybe as heathen. And now we have young people that have grown up in the church, and we've probably had mm, maybe... 18 weddings in the last four years, and that's a real cause to celebrate. Several of those weddings were couples that married in purity, and I cannot communicate to you how extraordinarily difficult and new and thrilling that is all at the same time because it's just entirely unheard of. Their, their traditional unbelieving way of marriage is very, very much to live together for a long period of time while you pay the dowry. And in that way, you can be sure that you can have children before you pay the dowry. That's really what it's about. And so to try to create an entirely new system of getting married, which is biblical and based in purity, has taken a lot of work for me and for the church leaders, but it is something beautiful to see. And we have a bunch of Christian couples now spread out around these 40 village churches, and that's really a cause to celebrate. So that's been a very exciting thing. Um, let's see, two, about two weeks ago, just before I flew back to the States here, we had an ordination, um, five new deacons, two new evangelists. I think we have about 24 ordained men now 
that would be caring for the 40 villages. So we're not yet to the level of one ordained man over each church. The, these ordained men sort of are itinerant, like each one of them would watch over a couple different villages. Um, something that you could pray for, for our villages, is that we've been dealing with an unusual amount of disease called hepatitis B, which is not really treatable. We're not sure why it's kind of roaring through our communities. Um, but we lost we lost one of our three pastors last year after I spent months nursing him in my own home. Um, but he, he passed away. And we have no, uh, numerous other church leaders who are dealing with the same disease and lots of our church members. So that's something you could pray with um, with me about. We're trying to figure out what we can do to mitigate that. It can be mitigated, but it cannot be eliminated, at least as far as I understand. So pray with us about that. That's been a blow um, to the church. But uh, Pastor Amos is the one who passed away. Pastor Amos died with a clear testimony of standing for Christ all the way to the end. And that, while it was difficult for the church, was also strengthening. So that's just a little update on uh, where things are at there in Africa. God continues to build his church there. Um, the issues there are different than the issues here, but it's the same word of God that addresses um, all the needs of the church wherever it is. And I continue to feel that I've been privileged to see God's kingdom being built in another place. It broadens your understanding of the power of the gospel. It broadens your um delight maybe in seeing how God's kingdom gets worked out when you see it being worked out in different cultures. Most of you will never have the opportunity to interact with your Christian brothers and sisters there, but in heaven we will all be together. And I, I really look forward to that. Probably more than you can understand, someone like me who spent the first half of my life in America, and I have lots of friendships and relationships here, and now I've spent over half of my life in Africa, and I have lots of friends and uh, people that I've brought to Christ and trained up, I really look forward to the day when my people here will be able to interact with my people there, and my worlds will come back together again. I think that's going to be an exciting day. I look forward to that. I would like to preach to you for a few minutes tonight. I um, feel like the Lord's laid something on my heart for you. <clears throat> And I'm going to try to weave a couple of African stories in with what I'm sharing. If you like titles, I would like to speak tonight about fervent living. Fervent living. <clears throat> Our African brothers and sisters have a bit of a different perspective on life than we do. Um, and you may feel that their view on life is not quite right or balanced, and I agree with you, but they would definitely say that your view of life is not quite balanced, and I would agree with them. Did you get that? <laughs> yeah, that's called being a cross-cultural missionary. I recognize that our perspective is off a little bit, and their perspective is off a little bit. Let me demonstrate. An African, um, an African Christian rolls out of bed, if he has a bed, or off of his mat every single morning, straight onto his knees and starts thanking God for resurrecting him from the death of sleep. And I'm sure your mind immediately says, oh, sleep is not death. Well, in the African mind, sleep is like the first cousin to death. And so I'm alive this morning. And they roll onto their knees and start thanking God for the gift of life. 
you and I believe that life is a gift from God, right? We say that God is the one who gives life. He holds all things together by the word of his power. However, most of us don't wake up in the morning like surprised that we're alive. And our prayers in the morning are not usually fueled by a thankfulness that really believes God woke me up from the dead this morning. However, every one of us recognizes, at least at a theological level, that we're kept alive by God's grace, and we're alive only because God chose for us to live. Our African brothers and sisters believe that life is much more spiritual than physical. We believe that life is much more physical than the spiritual. Like if we get a cold, we think, well, yeah, that was that day. That air conditioning was really cold the other day on the way to town. That's why I'm sick. Or I was in a car the other day and that sister was coughing and that's why I have a cold. Africans tend to believe that they get sick because of spiritual reasons. Unbelievers believe that they get sick because of curses. And so they're involved in witchcraft and things to try to have power over the spirit world. Now, those people come to Christ and now they believe that they are protected from evil spirits in Christ. You and I also believe that we are protected from evil spirits in Christ. But it's probably not something that we thank God for every day. And we don't think that every day satanic attacks are coming against us and it's only by the power of God that we survive. However, the word of God would say that we are protected under the blood of Jesus and that no one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. Right? We believe that verse. The Bible says that we are in his hand and no one can pluck us out. That implies that there is someone trying to pluck us out, but they're not able to pluck us out. As American Christians, we we tend to stand on the theology. No one can pluck us out. The African believer says, someone is trying to pluck me out of the Father's hand every single day, and I'm going to pray like it's only the power of God that will keep me here. So, like I already said to you, sometimes I think our African believers are a little overboard in thinking that they're going to die every day if God doesn't keep them alive. On the other hand, I think American Christians tend to be overboard in thinking that, of course I'm alive. I don't, I'm young, or I'm basically healthy, or I don't have any debilitating disease. Why would I die? And so somewhere in between there is what I believe the biblical position is, and that is that we do need to recognize that our life is sustained by the power of God, and it would be good for our souls to live grateful lives for the gift of life. It would be good for our souls to recognize that there is very real spiritual warfare going on around every believer. The Africans consider that to be very real. They see it everywhere. We rarely see it. We rarely see it. So all all of these understandings of the world make our African brothers and sisters very intense in their spirituality. If you were to come to Africa, you would say, they sing like there's no tomorrow. They pray like as if they think they're going to die if they don't pray. They pray against sin like as if they're right on the precipice of falling into temptation. And the fact is, is that that's kind of how they view their lives. And they may not be perfectly balanced. On the other hand, most American Christians are quite nonchalant about their walk with God and just sort of take it as a matter of course. Of course, I'm under the blood. Of course, I'm protected. 
the, the Lord's Prayer does say that we should pray that we not be led into temptation. Is that just a, and lead us not into temptation? Or is that, God, don't allow me to get close to temptation. Our African brothers and sisters would absolutely say it is this. Pray that you not be led into temptation. Pray that you be delivered from evil. Whereas American Christians tend to take it just as a statement. Not criticizing American Christians. I just think it's good while you would be quick to say, well, the African Christians need to um, bend to to the word of God. American Christians also have to bend to the word of God. Every one of us stands before the word of God and our cultures need to be subjected to what the word of God says. So all these things work together to create a very fervent Christianity in our African people. Maybe they're um, a little bit susceptible to emotionalism. And I know that's something that we're very worried about. As Anabaptist people, we're very worried about emotionalism. And rightfully so. Emotionalism can absolutely be taken to extremes. But no emotions can also be taken to extremes. Yeah. Absolutely. So maybe you watch a couple, you have a young couple who's really deeply in love and you feel like they're a little bit too much on on each other and he can't even walk outside the door without going over and giving her a kiss and they always have to hold hands and it's kind of like, it's a little much. Maybe it is. But if you react the other way and, and interact with your husband or wife, like as if you're just two people that happen to share the rent in one house, then you've gone to the other extreme. And I think a lot of times American Christianity relates to the word of God and to our walk with God as if emotions shouldn't have anything to do with it. I believe that the word of God communicates to us that we are called to fervent Christian living. And so the title this evening, Fervent Living, the Key to Spiritual Revival. In Africa, we cook with two different sources of heat. We cook with propane gas, LP gas, these little burners, um, sort of like you would probably call them camp stoves. And we also cook with charcoal and Africans make their own charcoal and we cook over open fires. On Sundays, when the scent team is in Africa, Christy likes to cook um, pasta or noodles because she wants the cooks to be able to be in church. But we also would like to eat lunch within a, you know, a reasonable period. So we like to cook noodles. And I remember a few years ago, Christy started going into the kitchen on Sunday morning and putting this massive pot of water. We're cooking for about 45 people when the team is there. So this is like the pots maybe our grandmothers used to wash clothes in, almost like a cauldron, probably holds eight gallons, something like that. And she put this massive pot of water on the, this little gas burner and put about five gallons of water in there and cranked up the heat on high and came to church thinking that the water will boil. And when the water boils, she'll go put the noodles in there. And when we finish church, we'll be ready to eat. And I remember sitting beside her and this happened several Sundays. She would go out and check it. I said, is it boiling yet? Oh, it's getting close. Not quite. A few minutes later, she'd go back out. I said, is it boiling yet? It's so close, but not quite. And I remember saying, well, if you, why don't you just put the noodles in? And she said, if the noodles, if the water's not boiling and you add 10 packs of noodles, they're just going to goop in there. You ladies know it needs to be boiling to keep the noodles moving around and they don't all clump together. And so we finished, we went all the way to the end of church and that pot of water was always right at the edge of boiling. We did this for a couple of Sundays and we finally realized that 
the amount of heat coming out of that burner on high is not enough heat to boil five gallons of water. The amount of uh, evaporation and the, the temperature of the ambient temperature and whatever the wind that's blowing, it cannot boil that pot of water. So what we would do is at the end of church, that water sitting there hot, Christy would bring it out onto the charcoal fire and ask one of the team guys to fan that flame. And within a couple of minutes, we had a rolling boil. That's a word picture of fervent Christian living that I'd like to put in front of your mind tonight. I preach with pictures because my African people are mostly illiterate. So they're not going to remember a message by the three-point outline or the notes they took. They're going to remember a message by the picture that Pastor Daniel used to preach from. So picture that pot of water sitting there and we're trying to boil five gallons of water and the flame is just sitting there for two hours, just heating that bottom of that pot for two hours, but it will not boil. Then you move it over to a charcoal fire and somebody fans that fire and within a couple minutes, you have a rolling boil. That's with the ambient temperature at 100 degrees. Imagine if we were trying to cook in the wintertime in the States, how much more heat would it require to boil that pot of water? I firmly believe that we are living in a period in American church history when only a rolling boil in our spiritual pots will ensure our spiritual survival. I'm going to repeat that, that line. I firmly believe that we are living in a period in American church history when only a rolling spiritual boil will ensure our spiritual survival. Maybe it shocks me because I only come home every few years, but I feel like America is changing really rapidly. I don't know if it feels that way in the rural areas, but if you go into the cities, America is changing rapidly. Uh, my wife is from Colorado, and when we spent time out there with her relatives on furlough, the children said to me, Papa, we don't want to be Americans anymore. This, this country doesn't feel like our country anymore. America is changing rapidly. Now, partially that's because um, relatives who are not walking with God and everything that goes along with that. But I do think that the evil in this country is increasing. Not only that, but the 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 tentacles, the arms that are reaching into our lives are more than ever before. Now, there's been lots of evil possible on the colony for a hundred years, but it didn't have this many fingers to reach its way into our lives like it does with internet and music and phones and all these possibilities. So I believe that it is high time for us to be cultivating a rolling boil. And if we don't have a rolling boil, I think that we're not going to survive spiritually. I don't think this is a time where mediocre Christianity is going to pull us through. I really don't believe that. And so as I look across American Christianity, I feel an urge to call us to fervent Christian living. Not emotionalism, but a fervor which is rooted in the, re, in the word of God, in the fact that this is where our life comes from and our relationship with God needs to be central enough that our spiritual life stays at a boil. So picture that pot sitting there, unable to boil. The heat's on it. It's enough heat to warm the pot of water, but it's not enough to get it to a boil. And I'm concerned lest our Christianity be just enough to warm our pot, but not enough to bring us to a boil. 
And I'm concerned that without a rolling boil, our spiritual survival is at risk. The reason I'm using this picture of a a rolling boil is because the word fervent is the word boil. Fervent. Recognize that when you and I hear the word fervent, probably every one of you pulls up fervent prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. But in the Old English, when the Bible was written, the word fervent was not only a spiritual term. You understand that? It was a word that was used in everyday speech. That's I love the King James, but that's one of the dangers is that more and more the words that are in it are only biblical words. They're only used in spiritual concepts, and they're not used in everyday life. A sower went out to sow. How many of you plant your fields by sowing? So we're not used to those things anymore. So when the people who, who read the Bible, when this was translated into English, when they read the effectual fervent prayer, they heard fervent, rolling boil prayers. And it was, a, it was in common usage in, in English back in those days. The word fervent means a rolling boil. And so I believe that fervent living is our key to spiritual survival. Let's just look at a couple of words where the word fervent is used. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. I think all of these are familiar. Don't, I don't have something here that's like, wow, never thought of that verse before. But I'm hoping that connecting it to the word picture from Africa will be meaningful. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. This is a long list of um if you will, spiritual commands that were given to the, Rome, the church at Rome. And we're breaking right into the middle in verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so our first verse here calls us to have boiling spirits, spirits which are hot, spirits which are awake and active and alert. And when I say a hot spirit, I'm not referring to anger. I'm referring to intensity. I'm referring to something which is alive and active. So Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says, be fervent in spirit. The the one that probably all of us pull up in our internal concordances is in the book of James in chapter 5. Book of James chapter 5 and verse 16. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent prayer. I don't know what the the concept of fervent prayer brings up in your mind. And if I start saying that fervent prayer should be loud prayer, you might say, "Mm, you can have fervent prayers and they be quiet. That's true, you can't. But for a prayer to be fervent, it needs to be engaging my heart and my soul. It cannot be something which we just say out of repetition or just because other people are listening or just because it's prayer time and we're going around the circle. Fervent prayer is effectual. That means it has an effect. It changes things. But it's boiling prayer that changes things. 
our African brothers and sisters, as I already mentioned, pray as if life depends upon it. Maybe a little dose of that would be healthy for us. They pray as if their survival is only by the mercy of God. I know some of you knew my father. He got saved out of a life of drugs and alcohol. I remember listening to my father pray against the temptation of alcohol. I have no idea what that temptation is like. That's thanks to my parents. But I remember listening to my father pray against that temptation in his life. And he prayed like someone who used to be a drunkard and a drug addict and who had been delivered and recognized that without the help of God, I will go right back to that pig's trough. It's easy for me not to pray that way because I really don't know that temptation. But the Bible says that it is fervent prayers that are effectual. Another one, 1 Peter, just move over a couple of pages. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 says this, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So how do you love in a hot way? Well, maybe that's not that hard for us to understand. Something that involves my emotions, my soul, that engages my spirit, engages my heart. Make sure that you love one another and do it fervently. This is the word of God for us tonight. Fervent living our key to spiritual survival. And 1 Peter chapter 4, moving over just one page, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, similar words but slightly different. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. One of the usages for the word fervent was um, like wine that had had um, build up pressure. And when you remove the lid or the cork or however they used to close it back in the olden days, it would ferment, running over with activity. And God says, make sure that you have fervent charity because it's fervent charity that will be able to cover sins and bring unity within the church. Two final verses. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13. Jesus asked the question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? I think that question was meant to be rhetorical. It's implied that there will be faith on the earth. Christ is coming back for a bride. But Jesus asked that question because he knew that the period leading up to his return would be a period in which it would be easy for faith to die. You with me? The period leading up to the time when Christ returns would be a period in which faith would easily die. And so Jesus said, when I come back, will there be faith on the earth? I firmly believe that we are, we are at the very beginning of very testing times for our faith. We need to go into this as Christians, as believers, 
We need to go into this fervent. I do not believe that the coming challenges in America are are going to be um, survived by people who are just mediocre, whose Christianity doesn't move them, whose Christianity doesn't really capture their emotions or their heart or guide their actions. I don't believe that it's going to be survived by people who just sort of go into it nonchalantly. I believe that this period we're entering will be survived and maybe even thrived through, if you will, by Christians who are fervent. The pot needs to boil. And if it's not boiling, then you need to start fanning. And I just have this picture in my mind of a team member down there, and, and, I, and they're hungry. It's after church. I don't know why, but church makes people hungry. I don't know if that's how you feel, but that's how I always felt as a boy, and I still feel that way. I always preach. Maybe that's why. But Sunday after church, I'm hungry. And I can just remember Christy saying to the young man, fan, the sooner that water boils, the sooner I can put the noodles in there, the sooner we'll have lunch. Well, you tell a young man that there's going to be some serious fanning, right? Yeah. Surely our motivation to eat lunch a few minutes sooner shouldn't be more motivating to us to fan then our own spiritual survival should motivate us to fan our hearts and our lives spiritually and be sure that we are awake and alive and alert and active as the church enters what I think is very likely to be the the end of the age. If it's not the end of the age, then it is definitely a time when a dark and cold wind is seeking to blow out the fires of the church. Do you agree with me on that? Do you feel that? This is a time in which many people are falling away. Many. So if we don't want to fall away, then what are we doing to make sure that we're living fervent lives? When you know that you're going to be going through something that is risky for your health, you take extra supplements. We came back to the States in February and we had three months of travel in like a hundred different homes. And we looked at each other and said, one, God has to have mercy on us. There's COVID all across America. That was when Omicron was going around. And if we get sick, we can't keep going to people's houses. What are we going to do? So we prayed about it, but we also started taking some kind of expensive supplements. Why? We know that our immune systems are about to face an unusual onslaught. It's, it was February. It was still cold. Lots of Americans have coughs. We don't have the same germs in Africa. So what did we do? We started you know, taking all these things to build up our immune systems. I think all of us would consider that to be wisdom, right? What are you doing spiritually to make sure that your spiritual immune system is ready to take on the threats that are coming against us spiritually. Does that make sense? If it's not boiling, you need to fan it. What is fanning our spiritual lives? Paying more attention to God's word and its regular feeding into my life. Taking extra time in prayer, taking extra time in fellowship and accountability, and making sure that I, as much as possible, limit those um, forces of evil that are coming into my life on a daily basis. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. <clears throat> and that, knowing the time, that now 
It is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. These are instruction verses for fervent living. Guys, it's time to be alert. It's time to be awake. You're not going to make it through this next period Maybe I should say, you're not likely. God in his grace can do miracles. But you're not likely to make it through this period if you're not awake and alert. It's time to throw off the works of darkness. Influences in our lives which are pulling away from that rolling boil that we're supposed to have in our life. It's time to put on the armor of light. It's time to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not make provision for the flesh. Lots of us tend to make room for the flesh in our lives, and that flesh in our lives is just like a cold wind that blows on us spiritually, which makes it harder for the pot to boil. Does that make sense? Fervent living, our key to spiritual survival. It is high time to awake out of sleep. This is not a period in which to sleep. This is a period to be awake. Some of you drive, I I know there's a bunch of trucks out there. Some of you guys drive long distances, and I'm sure that there have been times where you got sleepy. There have been times where I was driving and I realized I'm, I'm slowing down. I'm reacting slowly. It's like, I think that's brake lights. Is that, whoa, that is brake lights. I'm sure we've all had that experience. That's dangerous. When I realize I'm falling asleep, I, I, I don't joke with it. Okay. I do extreme things because I realize you can die, Daniel. You can just, police can call your wife and say he's dead. You got to wake up. So if you were in the car with me, you might get a kick out of it. I slap myself silly. I I would rather slap myself and stay awake. I've done push-ups on the side of the road, just pulled over, got down on the ground and did a bunch of push-ups. You got to get that blood pumping. I've done jumping jacks on the side of the road. Well, that looks foolish. Foolishness is the, looking foolish is the least of my worries when I realize that I am at the edge of falling asleep while I'm driving. Does that make sense? I'm sure I'm not the only person who's done that. I remember when I was a boy, uh, the guy who worked with me before I had my license, he worked for my father. He would take a a half a gallon of ice water and pour it down his back to stay awake. Just glug, 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 glug. That'll wake you up. But you can't sleep. And spiritually, we can't sleep. And if you have to get down and do jumping jacks along the road, if you have to knock the flesh out of you a little bit because you've got to stay awake spiritually, you've got to stay awake spiritually. It's not a time for drowsiness. Last verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And verse 1, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, 
peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. In Africa, when you want to get a group's attention, you say, Hello, ye brethren, you are not in darkness. I believe that you're not. Ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So since we're children of the day and since we're not children of darkness, then verse 6 says, Therefore, because we're children of the light and children of the day, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. That word sober does not mean you can't smile. That does not mean walking around with a long face. That word so, that, that's translated sober means watchful, aware of the serious nature of life. Not sober as in, sober as in, I recognize what's going on. I know what time it is. And it concerns me that American Christians might be entering the final, final stage and not really be aware, just kind of, okay? And I think that's dangerous. I think that fervent living is our key to spiritual survival. And I want to challenge you to turn up the flame. And if turning up the flame doesn't make the water boil, then get out the fan and fan it. Verse 6 again, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you're not appointed to wrath. You are appointed to receive salvation. But he just said, since you're appointed to salvation, then be awake and alert. So obviously, God's appointment of us to salvation means something. But so does our awakeness and alertness and soberness. The pot needs to boil. And if the pot's not boiling, you need to fan it. And I want to encourage and challenge you that the coming days require a rolling boil from us spiritually. I don't believe, if it was possible in the past to slide by with mediocre Christianity, I don't believe it's going to be in the days ahead. Either because we're going to face persecution, which might be preferable, or we're going to face such an evil fog of compromise and infiltration from the enemy that we might not even realize that we're losing our faith. We've got to have our pots boiling, fervent in spirit, fervent in prayer, fervent in love, fervent in charity. God bless you. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, we have a picture of a pot boiling. 
and someone is there fanning. And Father, I pray that these dear people who I believe are appointed to salvation, I believe they are children of light, I believe that your spirit is in them. I pray, Lord, that you would equip them for the battles ahead by helping them to realize what time it is and to wake up spiritually. It is time to be awake. It is not time for dozing. Important events are happening. Temptations are rolling in. God's spirit is standing up to raise a standard against the evil. It is time to be awake. And I pray, Father, that you would cultivate in this fellowship a fervent heart to walk with you with intensity, to love you with all their hearts, to reach out and love as you loved, to hate evil like you hate it, to love your word and feed on it. Lord, let their pots boil as we look ahead to the end of the age and your return. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for this evening and opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for giving me the chance to share.